Hi, I'm Duewa Frazier, the host of Nerdocity Podcast. Welcome to season two of the podcast. And this is episode 37, featuring my guest, notable poet, Alan King. Alan is a Caribbean American poet whose parents immigrated to the U.S. from Trinidad and Tobago in the early 70s. He's a father, husband, and author of three collections of poetry. His newly released book of poems is titled Crooked Smiling Light from Plan B Press. He is also the author of Point Blank from Silver Birch Press and Drift from Aquarius Press. Alan's poetry caught the attention of U.S. Poet Laureate Joy Harjo, who said, Alan King is one of my favorite up-and-coming poets of his generation. His poems are not pop and flash, rather more like a slow dance with someone you're going to love forever. Alan is also a videographer and motion graphics artist. The video he produced for his poem, Gluttony, was an official selection of the 2021 International Video Poetry Festival in Athens, Greece. A Cave Canem Fellow, Alan is a graduate of the Stone Coast MFA degree program at the University of Southern Maine. He resides with his wife and children and mother-in-law in Bowie, Maryland. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Alan. Hi. How are you doing today? I'm fine. I'm fine. How about yourself? Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me here on Nerdocity Podcast as we are pretty much ending our fall season. So thank you for being a part of this new uh, season two fall lineup. Yeah, thank you for having me. Of course. And I want to congrat- congratulate you. Uh, on your new chapbook, Crooked Smiling Light, published by Plan B Press. Thank you. And so how exciting is it for you to have uh, a new work during this time, you know, heading into the holiday uh, Christmas season and people wanting to, you know, really support you? Yeah, I'm just really grateful to Plan B Press for, um, you know, taking a chance with the manuscript. Um, I, a lot of these poems I wrote while I was in the MFA program. So about, oh man, like about, yeah, about eight years ago. And so I'm glad that these poems are finally out there and, um, you know, just hope that they connect with folks. So I'm really excited that these poems are out there. Wonderful collection. Yeah, and I know what that journey is like too, the MFA journey and really desiring to, you know, um, find your creative work a home. And so it, it, it sounds like you found a great home for your new collection. Yeah, yeah, they're great over at uh, Plan B Press. Wonderful. And so Alan, can you share a little bit about your journey as a writer uh, with our audience? Uh, While I know that you're a Cave Canem Fellow, I also know that you did study with uh, award-winning poet Dr. Tony Medina. Is that correct? Sure, sure. So, um, yeah, definitely. uh, Dr. Medina is uh, part of my journey. And actually, um, at the time when I met Dr. Medina, I had already been writing poems. I was not a Cave Canem Fellow at the time, but I was workshopping you know, DC had a lot of Cave Canem writers because a lot of the writers that were in uh, the, the founding class of Cave Canem right. came from DC. So like Brandon Johnson, Brian Gilmore. Oh, so I was, yeah. Yeah, I was already workshopping with, with Brandon Johnson. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, so I think it, Medina came to DC in 2003. Uh, That's when he came to Howard, and um, I found out about his class at Howard through another poet, uh, Fred Joyner. Oh, yeah, I know Fred, Uh uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, he, you know, and I'm not even surprised you know Fred. We we used to call Fred the unofficial mayor of D.C. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's cool, and I know you know Truth Thomas and Uh folks like that, Cherry Castle Publishing and... Um, so that's wonderful. The whole network uh, in the DMV is amazing. Yeah. So 
Fred had told me about the class, and uh, he said that uh, the Dr. Medina was open to us crashing his class. Mm-hmm. So I I showed up the next time it was um his the next time his class was in session, mm-hmm. and um you know I had never met Dr. Medina prior to then. I just rolled up in the classroom. He wasn't there. <laughs> And he, you know, some students start filing in. He comes in. He starts mm-hmm. talking to some of the students. He's laughing, joking, and then just out of re- out of um, instinct, like he, you know, he just kind of felt like something was different. So he looked over in my direction, mm-hmm. and, and he still carried on his conversation with the student. It was nodding. Then he was like, "Hey, man," he said, "Who are <laughs> who you be, man?" <laughs> oh my gosh so I, I told him how i found out about his class and and i guess i said the magic word i said yeah i found out your class from fred jordan he was like oh okay all right all right right and, yeah you know so he, he let me stay and um he asked me to read a poem uh you know he asked me if i had a poem on me because he was doing a cipher in the class and I had a poem that I had workshop. I'd been workshopping with Brandon, uh-huh. and so when I read it, you know, Medina, you know, he he, he liked the poem, and uh, he, you know, um, he yeah, he he allowed me to stay. And what ended up happening was, I think after I crashed his class, and then later that day, Fred came. Once we crashed his class, it was like a domino effect, and mm-hmm. so like more and more people who found out who knew about him. Or learned about him, started crashing his class, and then it got to a point where his classes were standing room only. Oh my goodness! Yeah, if you if you had a a, a photo of his classes, then you would see students sitting on the floor, cross legged. Sure. Uh, and and that's how it was. And you know, more and more people. Um, you know, he had people that actually registered for his class, but then he had people. You know, but he was so open to writers from the community crashing the class and that ended up creating a culture, you know, because um, after we crashed his class, uh, Medina, you know, it'd be time to eat dinner. And so Medina would be like, hey, hey you know, what y'all trying to do? Hey, let's go get something to eat. Exactly. <laughs> and we, we, we just started doing that. And I think one of, he, he had classes two days that week. One of the days was on a third. Wow, but at that time it was a great day for to go listen to jazz music uh, in DC, mm-hmm. and uh, we'd go, you know, and that that became our Thursday ritual. You know, we go to Medina's class, um, and then we go out get something to eat afterwards, and then we just kind of stroll around on U Street and and pop into. Uh, uh, we used to go to the spot. Uh, it's not around anymore. It was Cafe Nima, uh-huh. and see the Young Lions, the jazz. Uh, the young group of jazz uh, musicians play. And I just have to add this extra, this really quick story. One time we went, we saw a guy wearing a suit with his hair slicked back. And we were just kind of like, nah, that's not him. That's not him. So I went to the bathroom. And while I'm in the bathroom, I hear this like eruption of applause and people screaming and, oh my God. So when I come out, you're not talking about Miles Davis, are you? No, no, no. It was Herbie Hancock. Oh, Herbie Hancock. Oh, my. That was Herbie Hancock. And Herbie Hancock was there that night because one of the members of the Young Lions, Alan Johnson, who was on the keys, was really good friends with Herbie Hancock. And Herbie Hancock was in town. He Uh came to Nima to hit Alan play. And that night, Everybody was trying to get him to play. He was like, no, no, no. I'm here to see my friend play. Uh, the owner of the place begged him to play. Everybody was like, oh, man, please, 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 please. He's like, no, 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 no. So then when the owner, owner went up to him, shook his hand, said it was an honor for you to be here, blah, 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 blah. The owner goes to leave. And at that moment, Alan is like taunting Herbie Hancock. And so he's playing. He looks up at Herbie Hancock. He smiles. He's like, Yo, you want some of this? Mm. And and Herbie Hancock got up. Everybody screamed. The owner threw his coat off and ran right back. Right. And and Herbie <laughs> played, Herbie Hancock played about four or five 
numbers with the rest of the band. And at midnight, they shut it down. And it, that's significant because they used to jam until like 2 a.m. Wow. But Hancock finished playing, they shut it down. And so that was just some of the, you know, we would, we would uh, ex- experience like little surprises like that after Medina's uh, workshops. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's amazing. It sounds like just, you know, a lot of energy, a lot of excitement, and definitely that poetry camaraderie that, you know, the poetry community is known for, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so, yeah. and so, Alan, can you tell me about how you came to become a writer, become a poet, um, in mm-hmm. terms of even before that, and I saw... Um, you've got a number of readings on YouTube. Um, I really enjoyed your Poets versus the Pandemic reading. That was oh, just some you. weeks back. That was really cool. Um, and you. I know you've been at uh, Bus Boys and Poets, and I think you've done some things with the American Poetry Museum. Is that uh-huh. correct? Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. So you've really done a lot. Um, tell me how, what is your journey like? Were you an English major? Were you taking workshops? Did you have a particular mentor, um, you know, early on? Were there certain books or writers that you were following? What, what was your journey um, like at the beginning? So it, my journey started in middle school and uh, was we did a unit on poetry. And I remember at the time I was writing a lot of rhyming poems uh-huh. And what really drew me to it was the the rhythm and the rhymes and the poems. And so I enjoyed that. And then I had stopped writing for a while. And then uh, when I got to high school, I really got into it to try to get girls. And so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, as shallow as that sounds, that's where my journey started. Oh, Okay. And, so, you were, you know, so were you impacted by, you know, the Love Jones movie and all of that? <laughs> nah, no, it was, okay. I just, you know, I just knew that, um, you know, that, that the girls like poetry. And so I was like, oh, man, if I could do that, I would, oh, man, like, I'd be unstoppable. Okay. <laughs> so I did that, and, um, you know, that was cool. But then I also took a unit on poetry, and it was in high school when I met my first poet, which was my English teacher, uh, uh-huh. Mr. Brown. And Mr. Grimes, Mr. Mr. Grimes, Mr. Grimes, okay. Uh, and so he would bring his poems. Well, he would teach us different rhyme schemes. So we will. He would teach us to write sonnets, all this stuff. And up to that moment, I didn't. You know, I thought poetry. You wrote it, and you maybe you know read it when when you were around relatives or whatever. And I didn't think there was much else for it. But then Mr. Grimes would bring his poems to class and say, hey, can I try something out on y'all? I said, well, why do you want to try it out? He said, oh, I'm getting ready to go. Uh, I think this evening I'm going to go read these poems when I go to D.C. Mm. And I was like, what? And so <laughs> my world just opened. I was like, hold up, hold up. So <laughs> going, there is an audience of people waiting to hear poetry. He said, yeah, there's a bunch yes. And oh my gosh, so then poetry in that moment went from, you know, being something that sat on a page and maybe sat in some dusted, uh, dusty journals to something that can, you know, a, a way of connecting with people. And, you know, so that pretty much started me, you know, got me started seriously on the journey. But I went, you know, I mean, I wasn't reading anybody and like a lot of people, who start out writing, you know, I didn't want, I didn't sound like anybody. And the funny thing is, you know, a lot of people who do that end up sounding like people who don't read other people. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I, I think it was in college when I uh, was in the DC spoken word scene and um, I had connected with some people through the, through okplayer.com. Uh, the official, well, what was the official root site at the time? And so I was posting some poems on the freestyle board. Uh, and, you know, there was there was some folks in there. I like their work. They like my work. And then we found out that we were in D.C. Uh-huh. I connected with them. And one of them uh, was actually co-hosting an open mic that used to be in Adams Morgan. Oh, okay. And, 
I went through there, checked that out, and then that's where my community started. I mm. uh, started meeting other poets from the message board that also lived in D.C. That's where I met uh, I met Derek Weston Brown. Oh, yeah, Derek. I know Derek. I interviewed uh-huh. him some years we, ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we met through OKPlayer.com. Wow, and, that is so cool. <laughs> yeah, he was he was in D.C. for, he had just, uh, 2001, he just came to D.C. No, sorry. Yeah, 2001, yeah. He had just came to D.C. to start his MFA program. Okay. And so he, you know, we, we linked up. And, you know, he and I, we've been best friends ever since. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's cool. And, you know, it's funny you're mentioning OK Player because I used to uh, produce a lot of poetry events, poetry and music events in New York City. And I would often use the OK Player site and forums mm-hmm. to promote my events. You know, like wow. that was like one of the sites I was a member of. So I definitely remember how great that site was for sure. Yeah, it was. I mean... And and uh, and I just you know I won't stay too long on the site. But the, another cool thing about the site though was that once we had this community of folks, then you had another set of folks who did not post on the message board like the poetry board. They were right. more like on the, and so we started linking up with them. And uh-huh. then you had the DC OK players, the New York OK players, and we were actually. At some point, we were doing road trips to meet one another. Wow. And yeah, it was a crazy community. But that's where I met Derek and the rest of my community. Uh-huh. And then they were the ones um, sliding me books. Like, yo, you may want to check this person out. So I think I, I started out reading Nikki Giovanni. Uh-huh. And then um, another person that was on OK Player, but who wasn't in D.C., she was like, oh, man, yeah, Nikki's cool, but check out Sonia Sanchez. Oh, of course. And right, right. I, I went out. I read, uh, I went out and got uh, Shake Loose My Skin, her, her um, oh, collector, yeah. the collectors. And, you know, like when I first read it, I was like, okay, cool. And then I, it wasn't until like the third time I revisited that full collection. Mm-hmm things just started hitting me in a different way. Wow. Oh, and so I, I had, I've lost count of how many times I've gone back to that collection and gone through it cover to cover. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, that was also uh, the early part of me learning, like reading and learning what was possible in poetry and kind of learning to, um, you know, being exposed to different techniques that writers were using, kind of borrowing and then kind of trying to make my own thing, you know, from what I borrowed. And mm-hmm. yeah, and that started on thing, you know, Yusef Komenyaka was another poet. Uh, folks was like, yo, you need to check this, him out. I think when uh, Brutal Imagination came out, they're like, yo, you need to check out Cornelia Beatty. And so, like, the, you know, they were very instrumental in me building my poetry uh, book collection. Sure. Your library, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it was, you know, great, a great time, you know. Um, to, and, I, and I think it was a great time to be a poet because when I got on the open mic, and not saying that I glorified that this happened, and I, I, I could... I could see how if this had happened to somebody who, you know, was probably a little, little bit more sensitive than me, that they probably would have stopped poetry. But I, I remember when I did the open mics and I didn't know what I was talking about. And I was trying to emulate the spoken word poets that I thought were cool. Mm-hmm. I, I used to get heckled. I got heckled. And, oh, wow. um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, folks, would, I'd be doing a poem, and I'd be, and, and the poem wasn't really saying anything. It was just more so me, you know, copying the the, the spoken word rhythm and, sure. and the style. And there was, there'd be folks on the front row, like, "Yo, what is he talking about?" Yeah. You know, oh my gosh! And then at some point, man, it was so bad. You know, I'd hear people like, "Yo, please make it stop." Oh you no! Know, okay. So, but you know. Looking back on it, I was like, oh, man, you know, um, you know, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But I think for me, like it was, um, you know, it was very humbling because it was like, "Ah, 
later on, I look back and I'm like, oh man, I really didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought I could just get up there, put a bunch of words together and say them in a certain way. Right. Um, but, you know, so all of that was part of my um, teaching. And then uh, when we read poems at uh, Yogi Records, that was the open mic. That was, that was the poetry spot that was in Adams Morgan. Uh-huh. Uh, when we started out, we didn't have a crowd of people. So... We, we would just get on the mic and read to each other. And Ray, it was a, yeah, Yogi Records. So Ray, who owned the record store, would put a big, he put this large speaker on the sidewalk. <laughs> you know? And so anybody who was on the mic, you know, the people walking by could hear. And so it was nerve wracking for me at the time because I wasn't used to reading in public. But I think what Yogi Records allowed me do was because we didn't have an audience, I was able to get up and practice and get used to hearing what I sounded like on the mic and mm-hmm. being comfortable with that because I think, you know, we all have like our internal voices, like like how we hear ourselves. Right. And we hear the external voice. We're like, oh, that can't be me because that's <laughs> so different from like the voice we hear in our head. Right. And so it was getting used to hearing that voice, hearing that what voice. I mm-hmm. and you know, which really led to me being comfortable getting on the mic and, and sharing work. Well, that's wonderful. I appreciate you sharing this. And this is going to be a gem um, of an interview for a lot of people, especially emerging poets. Um, you don't often hear about the stumbles of what poets and writers go through, Alan. A lot of times I, I don't mm. think people share uh, things that, you know, were humbling or maybe embarrassing moments. Um, But these are all good things to know because it's showing your growth and showing Mm -hmm. that, as you mentioned, sometimes it's not as easy as just getting up there and saying some words, you know, as, you know, your thought goes into it as well as a maturation of yourself as the artist. I know for me, I went through that as well. My heart used to just race off the charts whenever I would, you know, get on the stage at Brooklyn, like, you know, on the Brooklyn moon or the New York weekend, but I would force myself to do it, even though mm-hmm. I felt like, you know, I'm going to pass out. And eventually, <laughs> you know, eventually that stopped, like, you know, and it's, you know, those are things we don't talk about how you're so nervous and you're so afraid and maybe you don't know what you're afraid of, or maybe it's just, you know, as you mentioned, audience criticism or, seeing someone's face in the audience who's making a face at you, you know, or, you know, really things like that, that could really get to you, as you mentioned, and make you go, you know what, I need a break from this. Um, But that's the proof is in the pudding on, you know, were you called to do this? And for a lot of us, you know, it's a calling, even if you say, you know, okay, you said you got in it for girls. Yeah, that maybe that's what you think. But the universe was calling you to this anyway because you stuck to it and you've really uh, made something out of it for yourself and sharing with the world and with the poetry community. And so we know that you're not still in it just for the girls. No, (laughs) my wife would kill me. (laughs) You have a beautiful wife and beautiful children. I love seeing their photos um, that you post. And so definitely I, I just appreciate you being, you know, transparent in that way. Um, and so tell me, how did you come to, at what point uh, did your journey meet with Kave Kanem? And did you know, mm-hmm. okay, I need this next step for my growth? Well, it was, uh, so Derek Weston Brown, he he became a Kave Kanem fellow uh-huh. uh, before I did. And so uh, I, I learned about Kave Kanem through him. And it was... You know, like Derek was cool. He would take me to some of the Kave Kanem functions. And, you know, like uh, because Kave Kanem is based in New York, a lot of the uh, activities are based in New York. But at one point, and this is probably why there was such a larger number, why uh, a majority of the founding classic Kave Kanem came from D.C., but Cornelius Eady was teaching at American University. Oh, yes, right. Mm-hmm. And so he, you know, there was a Kave Kanem community in D.C. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember, uh, you know, he would do, uh, like, there would be various things. Like, uh, he and uh, his wife, Sarah, like, they, the house they, they had in D.C., like, they had, it was, they were very, uh, 
open about opening up their home to folks. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I remember Derek took me to a gathering at, uh, at, at Cornelius and Sarah's home. And I'm walking through and I'm just like, oh my gosh. Like, you know, uh, you know, kind of semi, you know, um, starstruck. Exactly, you know, right. I'm walking through, Tyimba Jess is in the kitchen, you know, um, joking, you know, just, just, you know, chatting up a group of folks. Uh, Terry, Terry Cross, before she was Terry Cross Davis, Mm-hmm. Uh, I bumped into her, you know, her there. Uh, it, it was really cool. You know, it was cool to be in the midst of like all that uh, black brilliance. And so, you know, but Derek would bring me through. And when I saw that, I think I was like, oh man, I, I really got to be a part of this. You know, I want to be a part of this. And so, um, you know, I, I applied. I think the first time I applied, I didn't get in. Mm-hmm. And kind of gave myself some time. And then when I uh, reapplied, I, I got in. So I yeah. uh, got in like in 2007. Okay. And um, the funny thing about it though, is uh, I had to talk about my mom. So she was like always like one of my uh, ch- my cheerleaders. You know, she, my mom is not a poetry head. My mom does not know what Kavi Khanum is beyond what I told her. <laughs> but when I, you know, but when I told her that I got into Kavi Khanum, she was the hairdresser. I okay. called her and said, hey, mom, I got my acceptance letter from Kavi Khanum. My mom was screaming like I, like I didn't, like I had the winning lotto ticket. You know, she was screaming and ah! Now, if anybody in the salon asked her about Kavi Kata, she'd be like, ah, oh, it's a, uh, uh, she wouldn't have the words for it. But yeah. she was happy. <laughs> but she knows it was, it was valuable for you and for your writing. Yeah. yeah so it, that's, it that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was, you know, it, you know, and then, um, yeah, you know what, got into Kavi Kata, met more writers. And I, um, I learned something about myself, too. And uh, one of the things I learned was that I didn't think it was possible to write a poem a day, <laughs> you know, okay. but I didn't want to be the one who didn't have a poem for the workshop. Wow. And uh, it was really cool was like watching everyone find their process and everyone's process of accomplishing that looked different. Mm-hmm. So like me, I like things would stress me until they're done. So like I'd always do something ahead of time and I'd keep working ahead so that I could relax and at least enjoy it. So I remember writing my first poem in the opening circle and I'm writing that poem for the next day and then the next day comes, I'm writing the poem for the next day and I started writing poems two days days in advance. Wow. And that was... I mean, it was a way of like kind of easing. Sure. You know, kind of it is because I didn't have to think about it like, oh man, I got to write the poem. So that was my process. But then you have folks that would like drink some really hard liquor mm-hmm. and they like doing the Soul Train line and all kinds of different <laughs> poem yet. They're doing all this stuff, right? And you're like, oh my gosh. And then when everything quiets down is when they start writing their poem. And like they show up, some of them would show up to workshop with this really long poem. And I'm like, mm. oh my God. And I thought they would burn out, but that was their process. They kept sure. cranking out these pieces. But it was so cool to see that, to see everyone finding their process and, mm-hmm. and bring on that. Because again, nobody wanted to be that person that, uh, that didn't have a that poem. Didn't, that showed up without a poem, exactly. And yeah. so you do whatever you need to, you know, to get your muse. Exactly. Um, yeah, so I can totally understand that. Uh-huh. And, yeah. you know, um, and what was your MFA program like? And did you do uh, Stone Coast? I did. So okay. um, I... <laughs> uh, so I... I got into an MFA program for, well, there were two people that were responsible for me going for an MFA. Well, so Patricia Smith, definitely. Tim Siebels. 
Okay. Uh, uh, I mean, I, I, I came across Tim Siebel's work in 2006. I was reading Patricia Smith's work before. Uh -huh. So Patricia Smith, it was Life According to Motown, Big City, Big Talk. Uh -huh. And I, I was reading those collections like, oh, my God. Like, again, just learning what was possible in poetry. Uh -huh. And I had already had like a bunch of Patricia Smith's books when I came across Tim Siebel's work. Okay. And, and I mean, when I read Tim Siebel's work, I was like, that's when I knew that poem, a poem could have so much swag and so uh -huh. much cool. And the very first poem I read by him that just made me scream out. I was working, I was, I was in a work study program when I was at Howard. And, you know, when my supervisors left, you know, that I, I'd like search for poems and be reading poems online. And so Fred was like, yo, check out Tim Siebel. So I Googled Tim and mm -hmm. I came across Tim's poem for brothers everywhere. Mm. And I remember just being blown back. Like, you know, he had this line. So it's a poem about basketball, but so many other things about life. He touches on in that poem. And the one line that, that like made me just kind of like, <laughs> made me make the ugly face and usually the ugly face in hip hop you make that ugly face when when a beat is just right when, when it's beat. just so hot and it's so crazy. yeah I know what you mean I know what you mean it's like ugly it's face. that stank face yeah <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was reading the poem and the line where he talked about this brother jumping through the air the dunk and he said, yeah, you know, um, he compared his body to a muscular saxophone. Wow. Body popping through the air. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, wow. I <laughs> a muscular saxophone. Yes. Whew. That's crazy. Yes. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, this guy is awesome. But so, yeah, it was definitely... Patricia Smith and Tim Siebel's, and actually both of them wrote uh, letters of recommendation for me to get into Stone Coast. Wow, that's uh, great. One person that was really instrumental in me getting in that program was my wife. Okay. And this was uh, like 2011. I gotten, I'm gonna just be real. I gotten fired from my uh, newspaper job. Mm -hmm. uh, I got fired because I stood up for myself. Oh, okay. I got fired from my newspaper job and my wife, you know, so I was just kind of in a space where I was doing like odd gigs and sure. work. I was doing unemployment. So my wife uh, was getting ready to go for her MSW. Okay. And so she, you know, we were in a studio apartment near the college where she was going to get it. So she was like, hey, and I always, every time I talked to her, yeah, I'm going to get my MFA. I'm going to get my MFA. Right, right. You know, so she was like, well, hey. Now's you know? the time. You've just been freed up. <laughs> exactly. She was like, it would be awesome if we were both in school at the same time. At the same time. Was exactly. this, I'm curious, was this before or after the babies? Oh, before. 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 Okay. <laughs> yeah. This was before. So we yeah. yeah, we got into her program and I was I was kind of torn. I, I was gonna go wherever Tim Siebel's was. Wow. I, but I so I was torn between Old Dominion well, University. He was at, oh yeah, I don't know if he still is, but I know he was at ODU for quite a while. Yeah, no, he's retired now. He's retired, yeah. Mm -hmm. So he was at ODU, and then he was part. He was uh, part-time faculty at Stone Coast. Oh, okay. And I didn't actually. Let me go back. So I found out about Stone Coast when I went to AWP in New York, and I think that was like two thousand. I think that was two thousand seven. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I went to I went to the Bowery. And Patricia Smith and Tim Siebel's was reading there. Annie Finch, who was the director of the Stone Coast program at the time, was there. And they were doing the Stone Coast reading. Oh, wow. And so I went, I went there to meet Tim. And Patricia was, like, teasing me. She's like, oh, you here to see Tim. Uh -huh. You know, just kind of <laughs> messing with me. And so 
you know, I said, yeah, I said, what's going on? So she said, oh, well, this is the Stone Coast MFA reading. And so that was when I found out about it. And that's where I met Tim Siebel's in person prior to that. He and I had been going back, you know, had been corresponding through email. Mm-hmm. So I uh, met him in person there. But anyway, after that moment, I was like, okay, either Old Dominion University of Stone Coast and Old Dominion University required the GRE. Oh, okay. So uh-huh. I was like, oh, good. So I, <laughs> I, wrote, <laughs> I just wrote a bunch of essays for Stone Coast and got, you know, some small scholarships. Mm-hmm. To- get into the program and yeah that's how I got in so I got I went initially because of Tim sure uh, and you know was icing on the cake that Patricia was there was there but, right you know, you know I got exposed to other staff members who I mean, other other faculty that was like right. very because yeah, I think there are awesome. a number of poets that teach does Amanda Johnston um yep. teach there or yep has taught well, right yeah, so she she came in after I started the program. So I was like her, not mentor, but kind of like her guide when she okay. came to Stone Coast. Oh, okay. And yeah, because I had already, I probably did like a semester or two uh-huh. uh, before Amanda got in. But like, you know, I, uh, you know, I did a, well, I was at Stone Coast. I wanted to study under Scott Woven. So I did a semester of, uh, of fiction. Oh, okay. You know, right, working on a short story, and then um, Joy Harjo oh, came yes. to, uh-huh. and Marilyn Nelson, they oh, came Marilyn, to Stone yeah. Coast mm-hmm. as 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 uh, guest like faculty. Guest, okay, visiting, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then Joy Harjo, um, I ended up getting Joy Harjo as a mentor, mm. and what it was. I didn't know who I wanted to be my mentor. Right. And so like, so many great folks to choose from, right? <laughs> and then I, I, I had I didn't even think about going for Joy Harjo because I was like, oh man, you know, my work is, you know, she she may not be, you know, like my work may not be her flavor. Sure. And right. And then she had actually requested me to, you know, she had said, hey, she'd be open to having me as a mentee if I was oh. open to having her as a mentor and I said sure yeah so it was a great experience and um yeah it was a good time and I um learned a lot and um met a lot of uh great writers who were students at the time Mm -hmm. and uh yeah and I got I had an excuse to be in Maine oh okay (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like. And so um, Joy ended up being, I guess, your MFA, like your thesis advisor or? Yeah, so okay. she, I had, I had a, well, no, no, no. So I had Joy Harjo for my, um, I think I had Joy Harjo for my second semester. Okay. Uh-huh. And Joy Harjo, you know, I jokingly say that she was like, Kind of like my the a fitness instructor for my poems, <laughs> yeah. like you know the metaphors and some of these. I I kind of see them as like the muscles of a poem, and so she was like, "Yeah, you're not working hard enough." You know, she would push me, mm-hmm. you know, really, you know, to really go there with the work. And so, um, yeah, so that was why when when Point Blank came out, uh, you know that it, that was my thesis. Uh, manuscript uh, in the program. So when that came out, I was like, well, Tim and Joy Arjo were, were both so involved in it because they were my mentors mm-hmm. and they were really involved in the work. So it made sense to, to reach out to them for blurbs uh, when that book came out. And they were both very generous and, um, you know, and, and, and uh, wrote the blurbs for it. So to this day, you know, I'm, I'm grateful, but the, the wild thing was when Joy Hodjo wrote the blurb, she was not the U.S. Poet Laureate. Right, right, exactly. But she then she became Poet Laureate. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, when she did that, my publisher hit me up with all kind of smiley face emojis. Yeah. <laughs> I bet. That's huge. That's really huge. Yeah. So I'm, I'm grateful to them for, um, you know, the, the generosity um, they sh- they showed me and as well as um, and they showed that generosity to to other writers too. Wow, that's that's amazing. It sounds like you've had quite 
a wonderful journey, Alan. And, you know, it sounds like you've really studied and you've been fortunate to study with some prolific and notable poets and, and also developing your own reading lists and your own style as a poet, which is wonderful. And so now, um, just coming back to your latest collection, Crooked Smiling Light, um, how would you describe some of the themes and uh, topics that are in this current uh, collection? As I heard you read uh, the poem, I want to say Journeys or The Journey, um, on the pandemic, uh, Poets versus Pandemic reading. You also read The Island of Smiles. Um, you have a number of wonderful poems um, that really speak to not only, you know, things that maybe we may deal with with the pandemic, but also uh, some social justice. Um, you mm -hmm. also seem to have some real reflective poems, um, poems of memory in this collection. And so can you please talk to me a little bit about those themes and what your focus was? Sure. So, I mean, the best way for me to do that is just say where the title of the collection came from. Okay. And so the title, it, it, it comes from like a worldview that I got from my dad. And so I remember um, my dad would tell me, you know, when things seemed overwhelming and things seemed, things seemed like, like the, the moments seemed like they were getting darker. You know, my dad would always say, no matter how dark a moment is, you will, it will always get better at some point. Mm. You won't stay, you won't stay in that uh, challenge or whatever um, the entire time. At some point, you're going to overcome. Right. And so that was his way of telling me to uh, hang in there. And so... Um, the title also comes, so with my dad saying that, you know, I, you know, I started also too, kind of seeing life as like the presence of light. Mm. And metaphorically, of course, that light is like our joys, mm -hmm. you know, things that make us happy. But that light, because life is the way it is, it's not a straight path. Right, exactly. A lot of zigzags. And so for me, my way of interpreting what my dad told me was that when I'm going through or when my family was going through moments where it seemed dark, you know, the presence of light was still there, but we were just kind of going through the bend of it. And so if, you know, and when we stuck through it, we were fortunate enough to come out back into light, you know? And so that's where the title Crooked Smiling Light came from. You know, it's like, um, you know, our lives consist of joys, but also unfortunate uh, circumstances. And so I wanted, you know, like when I, I had already written the poems, but I felt like that title kind of encompassed what the, the mood was in the collection. Mm. because I got poems in here where there's like a lot of light, you know, so like poems celebrating birth and celebrating other uh, happy moments, but then there were poems in it where we were kind of in that bend, you know, like when my, when my wife needed a kidney transplant, mm -hmm. we're just trying to figure out the quickest way to get her on the list. Right. And and, you know, and eventually coming out into light, like when we had our surgeries and, um, you know, and, and, and her numbers, her, her, you know, started improving and all that mm -hmm. stuff. I wanted to, and then, you know, I wanted to kind of, I feel like the collection kind of deals with that. It deals with, you know, just all that life throws at us, like the, the, the dark moments as well as the, the bright ones. So, mm -hmm. like... Those moments take place within families, within households, uh, where there's misunderstanding. And it also, you know, just as I explained uh, before, it also takes place in our health. Um, so I wanted to, I wanted this collection to be hopeful, but not be, um, but not like with a naive type of hope. Sure. Yeah. And I do see a range of that, you know, um, because you do mention family in the poems. Um, 
You also mentioned you've got a poem here for George uh, Floyd, uh, Jade Rose and George Floyd, The Land of mm -hmm. Innocence. Um, uh, I really enjoyed the poem, What's Unsaid. Uh, it Thank has a you. very nice rhythm and, and kind of bringing your family or, or family into the poem. Um, a lot of really nice structure for your poem, just the rhythm of it um, and how you have the different subject matter in it. I really think it gives a lot for the reader uh, to digest for sure. Thank you. And Thank you. Um, the light inside, I'm assuming this would be for your, your wife. Um, yeah, so the yeah. light inside, yeah, it was for my wife and, yeah. um, and my daughter, Jasmine. And your daughter is beautiful. Yeah, very nice. Thank you. Um, and so, um, Alan, do you have a selection of, you know, a few poems that you'd be so uh, gracious to read uh, from your collection? Sure, sure. So I will, yeah, I'll, I'll read um, Gluttony. Okay. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow along with you from my, my book also. Okay. Gluttony. Combing the bargain bin. A woman who's not your wife brushes beside you asking if the Roy Hargrove CD you're holding is any good. She's close enough for you to smell her ginger patchouli body wash. The angle she gives you in her leather bomber jacket. The one unzipped showing a white tee retracing her athletic stomach and arms. The jacket with its collar flared makes her a bright blossom booming its honeydew scented tune along her neckline. And your father's voice from two decades before warns you about gorging on everything you see. You were 16 the first time he told you when your hunger hovered like that summer at Myrtle Beach, sister strutting the boardwalk beneath a honey barbecue sun whose sweet light made each of them a long stretch of marinade, a chromatic scale of flavors along which your tongue was burning to play. And isn't temptation always lurking, eager to hold our common sense hostage? You tell the flower woman you're married after she points to a flyer for a roots show and says y'all should go. When she asks, are you happy? You remember a brother once asking how you could love one woman when the world's a buffet, the possibilities of pleasure laid out like jumbo crab cakes, lasagna rolls, and buffalo wings. What's gluttony if not a symptom of our own hunger consuming us? Wasn't Jack as careless selling his sustenance for a handful of beans? You remember the story of the stalk that almost made him a hungry giant's grub. You still hear the past of preaching about gluttons wearing the rags of drowsiness, which is how your wife found you stumbling through the days. Your life before her was a stringless violin, a dark garden of wilted sunflowers, a camper trailer rusting against a moldy brick wall. You were once a city of power lines, boarded up clock towers, junked cars, and blazing drum barrel fires. What she saw in you, only her heart knows, just like it knew you'd leave the temptress back at the listening booth, watching the automatic doors close behind you. At 16, you thought all there was to living was filling your appetite. Too young to know love is the everyday meal, that the lack of it kills quicker than the absence of food. Wow, that's beautiful. And so Thank much you. imagery, so much imagery 
in this poem and just a lot of feels. You know what I mean? A lot of uh-huh. sensory detail, which you can see and feel, taste and touch in that, in that poem. Yeah, thank Very nice. you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, let's see. Well, since you mentioned the land of innocence, I will read that. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, so the land of innocence for Jade Rose and George Floyd. A YouTube clip shows a protest ignited after police killed George Floyd. Torched SUVs, overturned cop cars, armored officers retreating. All of that sinks my wife into a deeper postpartum, having made it through our personal crisis. We watched the python of despair coil itself around America, blowing out glass storefronts and colliding angry bodies as the tension constricts and crushes. We're miles from the mayhem, but a different kind of danger finds us in the maternity ward. A decreasing heartbeat, frenzied nurses rushing my wife to the OR, surgeons scrambling to save our daughter. Watching the news, I'm reminded of slogans on chaos as necessity. Real discoveries come from chaos. Chaos is beautiful and full of fertility. But when it's a violent pattern of reactions, what's the real discovery? Where's the beauty in things shattered and tagged if the same pattern of injustice ripples our lives? So maybe chaos isn't the right word. Let's try instead challenge. And since it means refuting the truth or its validity, isn't a protest a public dispute of someone else's truth, like the one about the fear of dark bodies, how it justifies us being mangled or discredited in news cycles? Wouldn't the beauty then be new laws that get us closer to becoming the people the Constitution claims it protects? Let me begin again. When my wife told me Several months ago, she was pregnant. We knew the challenge of this birth could take her life. Just as the challenge in the hospital threatened our daughters. And isn't it an act of faith to go blindfolded into the future and be delighted by the light there? Now we're lit by a dancing star named Jade. Short for Jarisola, which in Yoruba, means come into wealth. She's jade like the green stone set to emit wisdom and clarity. I'm feeding her while watching the YouTube video. Someone on screen yells, we're better than this. And she squeals, mouth dripping with her mother's milk, smiling while dreaming her baby dreams. That land of innocence where it all starts before we lose our way back, rationalizing our destruction. Mm. Wow. That's really powerful. Thank you. And, you know, the bravery of you and your wife um, really conveyed through this poem in the backdrop of everything going on in society as well. Um, Thank you. You know, it's just really, really, for sharing that. Oh, and sure, do you have sure. uh, perhaps one more, Alan? Yeah, so I'm going to end on a, uh, this is another poem for Jade Rose. It's called A Prayer for the Bees. And what page is that on? That Let's is see. page 38. 38, okay. Mm-hmm. I was going a little further. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. This is the last poem. Yeah. (laughs) Beautiful. Okay. A prayer for the bees. Bless them all. Nature's letter carriers 
and freighters, their determination, like the busy engines of commerce, picking up and dropping off their haul, bless this life of droning for the colony, working their sweet economy that sprouts the apples and pears cooling in your crisper drawer, the coffee grounded and brewed that kicks your senses awake. Let's not forget the butternut squash, the one your wife roasted into a savory soup. That's them too. You can still feel the gentle bite of ginger. Bless those that build the hive. Bless the ones that clean it. Bless the defenders. Bless the undertakers ushering away the dead and diseased to keep the colony healthy. Bless the nurses incubating the babies. And bless the bastards dropping to their death after a tryst with the queen. Could you do it, you wonder? Die for sex. Even if your life came down to that final task, even for the good of the colony, bless their bravery, bless their music streaming on your phone, their buzz, buzz, buzzing, your fussy infant hears as a lullaby before letting it lull her back to sleep, before the whole house rests, grateful for their humble roles, their thankless sacrifices. Hmm. Wow, that's really, really nice. Very rich. And so, Thank you know, you. are you uh, are you a beekeeper? <laughs> no, no, no. So the, the wild, wild thing was that poem came to me because my um, wife and I, like we needed some sounds to help Jade Rose go to sleep. Uh-huh. And so we would go on YouTube and just look up B sounds. Really? And we, yeah, and we played it and she would calm down. So she was like real fussy. Uh -huh. And we 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 knew to do that because we would do that with our older daughter, Jasmine. And Jasmine okay. infant, like, you know, um, I think we were out someplace and Jasmine was, you know, was was um, you know, she she was just not happy. So I remember putting my mouth to her ear and just kind of buzzing and she stopped. Whoa. Oh wow. And she started leaning. Jazz would like lean into me when I would make the buzzing sound. That's so deep. I was like, well, obviously I can't keep doing this. So we went exactly. on <laughs> and we found the, the B sounds. And so I put like when Jazz used to get fussy, I put it on and she calmed down. So when Jade Rose we get fussy. We put it on, and she calmed down. And so uh, mm. that became our thing. And so the funny thing is, to this day, Jade Rose is like eighteen months. Uh huh. And when we put it down for her naps, and even when we put it down for bedtime, we put the B sounds on. Really, and, and it she, just and she goes right to sleep. Well, she knows. Well, now she she's uh, because it's part of the bedtime ritual. Uh -huh. She knows when we put those B sounds on that it's time to get ready she knows for bed. What's coming, okay. Exactly. That's exactly. amazing. Um, and so that's where the poem came from. Who would have? This is beautiful. Who would have ever thought B sounds as a lullaby? Is that common for babies? I. Oh uh, well, they. Uh, uh, I don't know if. Uh, I, I think so because there's a. Uh, those sounds have gotten like millions of. Uh, you know, there's millions of plays. Uh huh. Of those sounds, but then also too, like I think it comes up when you're looking for white noise for. Oh, uh, okay. Baby, so like you'll get kind of things, and one of them is the sound of bees because they're soothing. Uh huh. Yeah, but um, yeah, so that's where that came from. And I actually started writing that poem when I was bathing Jade Rose. Like I, another part of my process is like I'll write in my head. Mm -hmm. And when I get to a point where I feel like I have enough of the poem, then I'll start typing it out on my phone. Um, 
Yeah, because it's uh, I, I use an app that I can then go to the desktop and kind of flesh out uh, what whatever I typed out on the phone. But yeah, it started mm-hmm. started working on it while I was um, bathing her. You know, it was coming to me, and um, so yeah, that's the story behind that piece. I love it. That's really putting your poetic mind to work. I mean, looking at you know what you're using your children and how it lends itself to you know being being um creative and crafting a, a new poem oh yeah it's it's uh the, i mean the process um it's always evolving because um i think a while back uh somebody had, i was on a panel with some other writers and somebody had asked about you know how different life changes affect mm-hmm. your uh process you know, say that for me, because I have to do it, like my, the different life, I won't call them interruptions, but like different things going on in my life, the process would evolve to, to, in, to involve like the, the new change in my life. So like my process was one way when I was single. But then when my wife and I started dating and we're spending all this time around each other, my process shifted to include her. Wow. You know, figured mm-hmm. another way of like, oh, another time to write, you know, which was often when she was asleep, when my wife was asleep. Sure. And, and when we had kids, you know, the process shifted for them. So like now it's whenever I can get some time to, uh, work on something but yeah it's it's always for me i'm you know i'm speaking for myself the process is always uh shifting for every new addition you know every new thing coming into my life so sure that makes total sense you know it's your poetry is a part of the family now so yeah yeah <laughs> it's a member of the family and you you know you have to make time for it so yeah and so tell us, Alan, um, with your new collection, and I know you're making your rounds and doing different events, um, as I've seen your posts on Instagram, uh, what are you looking forward to and what's in the works for you coming in the coming months? Uh, so I would like to do more um, video trailers for poems. Um, my wife jokingly said, that I should do like what Beyonce did with Lemonade. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, do a little mini movie and all that. Yeah, exactly. uh, I have one for every, <laughs> every <laughs> poem. But I want to create more of those. And I'm, I'm actually looking forward to writing new work. You know, and call yours Poet Aid. <laughs> I know that was kind of corny, but okay. But, uh, <laughs> hey, uh, <laughs> But no, it's, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to writing new poems and then, um, and then, you know, I'm just, I, I get excited when I look at um, where I am in my life and how the new work is going to be different because of that. You know, like sure. the new work, I'll be whatever that is. And whenever I start writing it, it's going to focus more on, you know, this point in my life, you know, where I am you know, as a parent, as a husband, as a, you know, just a person, you know, where, where, where I currently am, it's going to find its way into some new work. So I'm excited to do that. And yeah, you know, I, um, and then I'm also too, more than anything, you know, I've been watching Jasmine and when Jay Rose gets older, I'll be watching her too, to see where, you know, but I want to see where their artistic what what their interests is. are. Sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to influence it in any way. I just want to kind of watch, and wherever it lands, you know, I just want to be able to, you know, my wife and I, we just want to be able to try to support their interests and help them grow, uh, in in in, in whatever discipline um, they choose for themselves. Or they feel called to. Exactly. And it's so wonderful um, having an artistic household and with supportive parents, it just really means that they will have the confidence to pursue whatever it is that they have, you know, uh, an interest in. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And, you know, yeah, we just want to, we, we want to allow them to find themselves and to, to explore that. So, That's yeah, wonderful. so I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, looking forward to seeing them discover that. Mm-hmm, for sure. And so, Alan, um, just as we're about to close out, can you please tell me uh, where we can purchase and support your book, uh, Crooked Smiling Light, and also how we can continue to follow you and support you in general as an Oh, sure. So Crooked Smiling Light is available at planbpress.com. And... Um, you know, I think Stephen Alamay and his wife, uh, you know, over at Plan B Press, they did a great job with the chat books. Um, uh, but, you know, yeah, I always want to shout them up, but definitely planbpress.com. And then uh, I am on uh, Facebook at, um, oh gosh, <laughs> I think it's A.W. King. So it's facebook.com slash A.W. King. A.W. King. Yeah, A.W. King uh, 020881. Okay. And then on Instagram, I think it's the same thing, A.W. King 020881. But I'm on Twitter as A. King 020881. And those numbers are my birth date. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Well, and also, Alan, your website. Come on and mention that, too. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Can't forget that. Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah. So, alanwking.com. And so, for those who don't know how to spell my name, it's A-L-A-N-W-K-I-N-G.com. Well, thank you so much, Alan. It's been a pleasure to talk with you today on the podcast and hear your writing journey as well as hearing you read from your wonderful new collection, Crooked Smiling Light. Of course, I will continue to follow you and support what you're doing. And I hope that you will keep in touch with Nerdocity Podcast as well. Definitely. And thank you for this opportunity. Thank you, Alan. And best wishes for you. Okay. Take care. Thank you. You too. And you were just listening to episode 37 of Nerdocity Podcast featuring my guest, poet Alan King. Check out Alan's latest chapbook titled Crooked Smiling Light from Plan B Press. Be sure to visit his website at alanwking.com. You can also follow him on all social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and certainly check out his blog. I hope you'll continue to support Nerdocity Podcast, and if you've been enjoying these episodes where I promote authors, books, poetry, film, culture commentary, and more, please consider giving a small donation this season at paypal.me slash doawaworld or by visiting anchor.fm slash doawafraser. Also, follow Nerdocity on Instagram at Nerdocity Podcast and on Twitter at NerdocityPod1. Thanks again for listening. Take care.